Value Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Mastery Partners, where our mission is to equip business owners to maximize business value so they can transition their business on their terms. Our mission was born from the lessons we've learned from over 100 business transactions, which fuels our desire to share our experiences and wisdom so you can succeed. Now, here's your host, CEO of Mastery Partners, Tom Bronson. Hi, this is Tom Bronson, and welcome to Maximize Business Value, a podcast for business owners who are passionate about building long-term sustainable value in their businesses. In this episode, I'd like to welcome our guest, Tom Neeson, CEO of Acuity Systems. Now, I've known Tom for close to 20 years, and I've heard him speak dozens of times. Every time I'm in the audience when he is speaking, I take tons of notes. I've spent my whole career in sales, uh, but uh, but I take tons of notes because every time he speaks, I know that he is going to speak wisdom. Tom is one of those down-to-earth sales strategy and, and training professionals who tells it like it is, and you're about to find out. So we're in for a fun ride today. Tom, please introduce yourself. For those of you who don't know me, I've been doing this for 25 years. And just a, a quick um, overview is I started this 25 years ago and I thought I was going to train salespeople on how to sell. And the, the problem I had was if you had four or five salespeople, I'd train them and one or two would get better. And that did not make me look good, right? So I started looking at people different and I really started analyzing people and not just skill sets, but can they actually take a skill set to the street? And then I was able to look at uh, a company and say, look, out of your five salespeople, I'll only work with one of them. Uh, the other four, they, 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 if they're making you money, leave them alone. But if they're not making you money, I can't help them, right? And then finally, I, I started doing that. And I found out that if the company itself didn't have the right processes in place, um, then that good salesperson says, I'm out of here, right? And so I really love working. So when someone calls me and says, hey, I want to do some sales training, I always tell them, you know, it doesn't work, right? But really what works is really looking at your sales processes, your sales management. I can give a company a quicker ROI by, by fixing or creating or doing something in the process than training. And Interesting, Tom, and you and I've talked about this, is we work with a lot of private equity firms that buy companies, and they hire us and say, we know the company, we know what it can manufacture. Will you take a look at the sales force and tell us if next year they can actually sell the stuff they said they did? And uh, I come back with some amazing reports for them, and they go, uh-oh. You know, yeah. So. yeah, it's not if you can make it, they will sell. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Right. Awesome. Well, you've got an amazing background and you've worked with lots and lots of companies. And so uh, so let's remind everybody why we are here. And before we jump into sales, let's refresh on this webinar series. I want to remind you that 72% of business owners have no exit strategy at all. And 48% of business owners who want to sell their business right now have no exit strategy. That's part of the reason that 
83% of attempted transactions never reach the finish line. Just saying that makes me mad as hell. Our team at Mastery Partners have a combined 500 successful business transitions, and we're here to help business owners get into that elusive, exclusive 17% that can actually transition their business on their terms. So let's start like this. Think about your own business for a minute. Do you know the value of your business? And if you do, when you think about it, is this how it makes you feel? Or does it make you feel like this? If you're most business owners, that's probably how it should make you feel unless you're focused on building that long-term value. Now, we're going to talk about a lot of things uh, that you can do to improve your business value today. My charge to you is take great notes. Kim has dropped the notes. Uh, it was emailed to you in advance, but she's dropped a sheet that you can use to take notes on or do what I do. I've got a, my legal pad here, uh, and I'm going to be taking notes because at the end, I'm going to ask you to pick just the three things, three things that you can start doing today in your business to improve business value. It's going to feel a little bit like we're drinking from a fire hose, but take notes on the things that are burning issues for you in your business, uh, because at the end, I'll ask you to, to tell me what the three takeaways are that you plan to uh, put into action immediately in your business. Of course, in this series, we talk about lots of things, but today we're focused on sales. Now, if you have any questions as we go along, just put them in the chat and we will get to them at the end. So let's jump in, Tom. You're in for a fun ride. Okay, starting here, what's the deal with number 52? Why do I start with number 52? Of course, these slides are part of a half-day workshop that we do here at Mastery on improving business value. Uh, we just pulled the slides that are important to us today. I took them in random order. Uh, and so let's start with number 52. Uh, every business should examine its sales structure. And in today's environment, I think that every business should re-examine its sales structure. So Tom, here's my first question to you. Is there a difference between pre-COVID and post-COVID sales structures? Yeah, most definitely. And, and there, there needs to be, you know, uh, before a lot of um, business owners put up with people not meeting quota, they put up with people uh, not hitting numbers, they put up with crappy pipelines. Um, and it always amazed me. I always freaked out when I, uh, pre-COVID, I'd be in Phoenix, right, at a sales conference about to speak, and I'd talk to the VP of sales, and I'd go, so what are we celebrating? What's our national sales conference? We hit 80% of our goal. And my, I scratch my head and go, why aren't we having this conference in Chicago in February? You know, it, it made no sense to me. But if you look at structure of sales department, if I asked you, what is your, what's your sales process? Uh, it's amazing how many people will say, well, first we uh, prospect, then we qualify, then we, um, uh, we demo, then we do a proposal, then we close. So just so everyone knows, that is not a process. Those are outcomes, but not a process. And if you don't know the process, don't expect your salespeople to know the process. 
process. Um, I'm a, it, for those of you that know or heard of lean manufacturing, right? I'm a big believer in lean selling. See, too often what happens if you don't have a structure in place, you're measuring the wrong things. I'll give you an example, Tom. Is I, one company um, I worked with in COVID, they called me and said, we're having terrible closing um, ratios. We're only closing like 7% of all our demos. And so I started examining. So they want me to train their people on how to close. And I really wanted to look at the structure, right? So I went through and looked at the structure, what they're doing. Interesting. They were giving their salespeople $500 per demo. I can do tons of demos for 500 bucks a piece, right? Hey, I know you can't buy anything, but can I give you a demo? You know, um, I had another company that, um, you know, they the same thing. And so I examined the structure and here we had the sales manager going to the sales managers, going to their salespeople going, how many quotes do you do this week? How many quotes you do this week? Because the, the owner of the company was going to the salesman, how many quotes we get in this week? So we get all these quotes, right? Because salespeople are told, my boss wants to know if I'm going to do a quote. So they get in front of someone and they say, look, I know you're buying from your brother, but can I quote you anyways? Right? So when we, I think it's Goddard's law. When we have one target, right? And we use that as a goal, it becomes, it ceases to be a good target, right? Yeah. Cease to be a good goal. That's why if you have a process and you measure every step, right? How many um, calls does it make to have a conversation? How many conversations does it make to have a, a first appointment? Who needs to be in that first appointment? What needs to happen? What about the second appointment? Um, give you a good example of structure. And I believe it's more important than ever before. But um, there's a company called Hardee's we worked with. That was interesting. They sold the restaurants. Uh, I bring them up because I'm working harder than ever because they're, they're basically, their customer base went away. Um, and they've had a better year than they've ever had. So, and you think about it, interesting because of their structure. Here's a company that doesn't have an inventory that can sit and shelf, right? They got $10 million in fresh produce that yesterday, the restaurant shut down. Uh-oh, inventory goes to hell in five days. And yet they didn't lose anything. But time for, that's another time for a story. But if you think about the structure we had in place was in the past, salespeople were just knocking on doors saying, you want to buy from me. We started measuring, putting stuff in place and into the CRM. And what we discovered is if the salesperson by the third meeting with the chef walked into the, was able to walk into the cooler, the chef lifting up his kimono, right? The chances of them closing business is 53%. If they never walked into the cooler and give a quote, the chances of doing business is 17%. If the salesperson walked in the cooler and met with the owner, not just the chef, the chances of getting the business go up to about 71%, right? When you have the structure in place, and you're a sales manager, right? And Tom, you're about to go call on this customer. And I go, Tom, how many, is this your third call? 
And you go, yes. I go, are you getting into the cooler? Well, I'm going to try. Well, let's role play how you're going to do it. Right? And by the way, if you don't get in the cooler, stop calling on them and find some other prospect. So without process and structure, I can't manage you. Right? Don't blame the sales manager if you're not giving the structure and process. And then you can't manage it. So, and another step further, this means you got to have a CRM and it's got to be used. Right? No ifs, ands, or buts. You don't use a CRM, you're fired. The CRM creates all that data. And, and the problem most salespeople have is because you ask me to use a CRM. And then you never use the information I'm giving you. So why the hell should I put stuff in there anyways? So don't get all mad at the salespeople if you're not using the data to build a structure and a process to improve. I better shut there because I, I go forever. You know? No, I know. So, uh, no, I know. You and I, give us uh, give us one question and you and I can talk for an hour. I guarantee it. I, I did want to point out, I had a client earlier this year that, that was paying salespeople on activities, right? It's for making calls, connecting with an email, uh, you know, doing a demo, all that stuff. And they weren't selling anything and they couldn't understand why. Uh, so, uh, so, you know, I've suggested that, uh, that, that perhaps they need to come to you. I, one of my favorite things that I always tell salespeople, I say, you quote too much. Stop quoting so much. You, a quote is the very first thing that you do right after you close the sale. What do you think about that? I agree. A quote is just to confirm what we already agreed on. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So uh, if you're pounding out quotes, stop wasting your time. Go quote the stuff that we know that we've already closed. Let's see. Let's move on to the next thing. Uh, number 30, a growing company is always, always, always more valuable than a flat or declining business uh, when it comes to the value of that business. So, Many times, unfortunately, small businesses are flat for many years. So, uh, but then they decide, hey, we want to grow. Tom, why is it important to have a strategy for growth? Well, I think, you know, a lot of times we build strategic plans for companies, which is great. But I think you need to have a strategic plan for the sales department um, that, that, you know, coincides with the overall strategic but if you don't have that strategy for growth, right, then you're dying, right? I mean, I agree with you. A flat company, you know, why bother, right? Typically, I only see a flat company when they sit there and say, well, I'm happy where I'm at. Don't want to do anything different. Boom. It's, a, it's an unsellable company. Right. But you got to have, because you got to look at what's changed in our world and what's constantly going to change. It's nonstop change. So if you don't have a strategic sales plan, you know, as to what what is going to happen in it, the foundation to me for a strategic sales plan is having core behaviors, not core values. And, and so what I mean by that is we have core values. Most companies have core values. They're nice words on a wall, um, you know. I can't tell you this either, Tom, you've probably done it is when I go to a company and I might say, so what's your mission statement? And I get the owner going, I don't know, I got it here somewhere. Hey, Susan, do you know what the mission statement is? You know, you don't have a mission statement, forget it, right? Um, so I create, I believe core behaviors, not core values, right? 
And what I mean by that is if you have a core value of growth, right, or knowledge, that's a wonderful thing. How do you measure it? How do you track it? How do you make sure it's alive in your company? Putting it on a wall doesn't do it, right? But when you create a behavior, and that behavior could be something like one of the things I push hard in the sales department. Because by the way, when the sales department takes hold of the core behaviors, the rest of the company will. Um, so core behaviors for growth uh, could be, you must learn something new every week or teach something to somebody every week. Now that's a behavior. Now I'm your sales manager, right? And I walk up to you and I go, so Tom, what'd you learn this week? Right? Tom, what'd you learn this week? And if you're a brand new employee working for me, and we say, here's, here's our core behaviors. And as you're walking down the hall, the CFO walks by and says, hey, Tom, what'd you learn this week? Right? And if you're walking down the hall and um, the um, uh, customer service, hey, Tom, what'd you learn this week? One of two things happen, right? Either you sit there at the end of the first couple of weeks and you tell your, your spouse, I hate it here. Everybody keeps pushing me to learn something. Or I love it here. Right. A culture is loved or hated. If you have people just trading dollars for hours, you don't have a culture. Right. So, um, to me, with a sale, to me, there's got to be a sales strategy, a sales culture of growth. And the reason I say when it's when it takes a hold in the sales department, it it'll be forced on the other departments. But if and I've seen this, and you have too, where you have. We have a sales strategy and sales culture, or, or not sales. We have a culture, we have strategy, we have this. Well, what about the sales department? Well, we, we don't want to involve them. They get pissed off when that happens. You don't have a culture, you don't have a strategy, you don't have, you don't have anything. Right? So if, it, if you make it alive in the sales department, the sales people will make sure it is alive in the rest of the departments. Yeah. But if you leave it out, it's trouble. Yeah, the uh, I love that. Uh, I asked the same question. Tell me about your mission statement. Tell me about your core values. And uh, it, I hadn't thought about it that way. But if you if you have to look it up, if you have if if you've written core values, you've written a mission statement, and you have to look it up every time you want to recite it, then guess what? You don't actually have core values or a mission statement. That's uh, that is so very important, and and we we help a lot of our clients kind of develop what those core values are. So uh, you talked about culture. We're going to get back to that in a second. But is there a what is the difference between what we would call A players and the rest of the sales team? <laughs> um, yeah, that's a <laughs> that's an easy one. We don't have enough time. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so if you really, you really look at the difference between A players, B players, and C players, um, and I can describe with one word, A players take responsibility, right? And what I mean by that is they don't make excuses, right? Cause if you think, think about it this way, if I ask the salesperson, how come you lost the sale? And I hear, well, the competition stole it out from under me with the cheaper price. Right. Typically, that's an excuse. And a sales manager takes that excuse and puts it in his pocket, holds on to it, doesn't like it, but still takes it. And by the way, once you listen to the excuse, you gave it credibility. Right. 
Then the VP of sales goes to the sales manager. How come we're having problems in that part in that area? Oh, uh, well, the competition is stealing out from another cheaper price. VP of sales doesn't like that, puts that in his pocket. And it goes up the chain. Till it goes, enough of them go up the chain to the CEO and it comes back down in the form of a hatchet. So it all depends on who ducks, right? Um, <laughs> but yeah, excuse making. So think, I mean, just the, the, the thought of this. If I asked a salesperson, how come you lost the sale? And I heard, because I let the competition see that I own you at the cheaper price. There was only one word difference, right? Because I, because I let it, I let them steal off me with cheaper. Therefore, I can change. Therefore, I need to learn something new. Therefore, I need to figure out a strategy. Therefore, I can take an action and I must change. The other person said, competition stole it off from under me with a cheaper price. Something else must change. You need to change our prices. You need to change who I'm going after, but I don't need to change. A players don't make excuses. And you hear them all the time. And, and I'm going to give you an example of a, uh, I used to say this all the time, and then she made me stop. I had a young lady working for me, and I used to say, talk about excuses, and I used to say, look, at, if I had a young lady working for me um, that gave birth, took a month off and gave birth, and came back, and I'd go, hey, how come last month was so bad? She'd look at me and go, well, I gave birth, but I took a couple of weeks off. That would be an excuse. I'd probably accept it, but it's an excuse. I always used to say that, and I don't. And the only reason I use that story is because I had someone working for me, hired her out of college, um, as an intern, worked for me for ten years. Um, in her fifth year, she got married and was having a baby, and she took off the month of August off to give birth. And start actually took August, um, August, uh, uh, I think uh, August, September off. Those are her two best months she ever had. And she was off. Right? Why? Because she knew as an A player, she said, I got to take these months off. Therefore, I got to fill my pipeline up now, get it really full. So when I take these months off, I still have income coming in. She was straight commission. Right? So to me, if I really had to narrow down, listen to an A player, listen to them. Are they taking responsibility or are they making you take responsibility? And when you start listening to that, and do they change? You know, um, a real quick, people ask me all the time, how do you prospect in today's economy, right? What's going on? And I go, okay, then Tom, you know this, right? When I started in sales, um, I was told by my boss, hey, look at you got to make 10 calls to get one conversation. You need 10 conversations to get one appointment. You need 10 appointments to get one demo. You need 10 demos to get one quote, to get one quote. You need 10 quotes to get one sale. 10, 10, 10. You do that, game of numbers. Well, just so everyone knows, pre-COVID, that worked. Post-COVID, those numbers have changed. You don't need 10 calls to get one uh, conversation. You need about 50 calls to get one conversation. And you don't need 10 conversations to get one appointment. You probably need about 30 conversations to get one appointment. Those numbers have changed. A players realize, I got to change my numbers and I'm going to do something different as opposed to, well, I made my 10 calls and no one's talking. Wow. So 
Personal responsibility. Is that it? They take responsibility for themselves. That's uh, the difference. So there you go. There's the trick. If you want to know if you've got A players, do they take responsibility for themselves? So on the other side of the coin, uh, a lot of times salespeople fail. So why do they fail and what can be done about it? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, so first of all, don't always blame the salespeople, right, for failure. First thing I'd blame is the sales management and or the company, right? First thing I'm gonna look at is there, if you don't have a process in place, if you don't have the structure in place, don't blame, and if you're not measuring them and hold them accountable, don't blame them. You know, real quick um, overview of, of management or leadership. By the way, great quote, I love, if you never read Colin Powell's book on leadership, read it. He gives, a, he gives a quote and he goes, we all know General Colin Powell. He said, interesting, in the Army, the minute you entered the Army, we started training you to be a leader. But inside companies, we make you a manager and then think about training. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. And just interesting thing is one of his observations. But um, if, if I was to really think about um, process, Right. The, the, if you don't have it, you're in trouble. And the four roles of a leader is supervisor, trainer, coach, mentor. Right. So a supervisor, if we think about if you're going to be a supervisor, real simple dis- distinction. The supervisor is very high in direction and very low in support. Right, they give you a lot of direction. This is where you go. This is when you do it. This is how you do it. Don't do it different. Trainer is very high in direction and high in support. Hey, that was pretty good. Now try it this way. Right? A coach, high in support, no direction. Right? Because guess what? It's Sunday. It's game day. If you ain't trained, get off my field. Right? A good coach is there to pull 100% out of people. And it's funny, I talk to a lot of salesmen and say, I'm a good coach. I always go, no, you're not. You're a good trainer. Right? You're not coaching. You're training. A good coach is sit there and say to somebody, so why do you think you didn't make the sale? I don't know. Why do you think I didn't? If I answered that question, I became a trainer. Right? I sit there and say, well, this is what I would have done. You're not training. You're not coaching. A good coach says, you've been, you've been with me for over a year. What do you think I'd say right now? Because when I can pull it out of his head or her head, they'll change and they'll do it. But if he keeps coming out of my mouth, they ain't going to do it differently. So you got to be a good coach. And then good mentor is no direction, no support. Right? We all had a good mentor that was able to say one word to you and your brain went, oh, yeah. Right? Good relationship. An example of that is I have a, a company in Las Vegas I work with, and we're walking down the hallway. And one of the salespersons, person, top one, Ray, had good coach, a mentoring relationship with uh, Mike, Mike's manager. And Ray had a, a wrinkled golf shirt on. And Michael just walked by his manager and just said, hey, Ray, good morning. Hey, you're not going to make any calls today? And just kept walking. Right? And you heard Ray go, what? What do you mean? I mean, well, yeah, I probably should change my shirt. Right? No support, no direction, just had that relationship. We don't all have it. The reason I bring those up 
is you can't coach somebody and you can't train somebody unless you're a great supervisor first. Because what's a great supervisor? They're great at data and process. A good supervisor understands data and process, right? This is when you do it, how to do it, where to do it. And if you've never done that, you can't train me and you can't coach me. I mean, half of the, half of the people I see, companies that say they have a process or something, it would be like Sunday getting on the, on the uh, Dallas Cowboys field and I'm your coach and everybody going, so what do we do? Uh, I don't know. Go have fun. What are these white lines? Isn't, isn't, that, what's already, isn't that what already happened during the season this year? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Go have a good time. <laughs> but I think, you know, if you really think about it, um, if we don't have process in place and we don't have management managing to a process, don't get all mad at the salespeople, right? Get mad at yourself. Put that in place. Then if the salespeople aren't doing it, then you can get rid of them and get some money. But don't blame the salespeople because they're not closing sales if you don't know how to hire sales made. So, so sort of a, a related question here, uh, Tom. A lot of times people say, you know, people are natural born salespeople, right? They're, they're just born naturally into it and they can do it. Um, and so I guess you would go look for natural born salespeople. So uh, you've been in sales, uh, sales and sales training basically your whole life. Um, is sales a learned behavior or are you born with it? I probably get people argue with me. It's a learned behavior. You're not born with it. Um, I was told all my life uh, I'd be a great salesperson. My dad was a salesperson. Um, he owned a printing company. Um, by the way, Tom will tell you right now, don't buy a printing company. He's thinking about it. But <laughs> worst investment in the world. But um, uh, he owned a printing company. And when I was... I was that guy that got along with everybody. I could make friends with everybody, right? I'd come home from college. They might have a party. And by the time I'm done, everybody knew me. I knew everybody. And my dad and mom used to say, you'll be a great salesperson. And so I didn't know what else to do. I, got a, I had a degree in psychology. I got out of school. I became a salesperson. And guess what I was really, really, really good at? Making friends with people. Yeah. Never, I was starving to death. I couldn't make a dollar to save my life. My boss thought I was the greatest thing in the world because I walked him into um, J. Walter Thompson in Chicago, one of the top print buyers in the world. Walked him in there and met the head print buyer, right? I mean, I, I'm at the reception desk and I said, yeah, is Bill in? She's this minute, Bill, Tom Neeson. Yeah, send him up. And my sales manager in LA is, oh my God, we've never gotten in here. This is amazing, right? Walked in, had a meeting. I never did business with J. Walter Thompson. I, mean, I could just imagine the head buyer sitting there when I'm on the way up the elevator. Hey, Neeson's coming in. Maybe he's got donuts. <laughs> right? I mean, I couldn't. I mean, I was a terrible salesperson. I starved to death. I didn't. I mean, I was so scared to close somebody. I mean, it took it took years of learning. Um, to get to the point where I had to say to my dog before I left for the morning, will you love me if I don't make a sale? Had to say to my wife, hey, can I get a kiss tonight if I don't make a sale? Will you still love me? My kids, will you love me if I come home without any money? They all said yes. 
then I could not really care what the hell the prospects thought about me anymore. That's a, that's a, I truly believe salespeople are made, not born. I, I agree with you. You know, I, same things were said about me growing up, but, um, you know, it's a shame that most, some are now, but most colleges don't even have a curriculum in sales, right? And, but sales is like anything else. It's a discipline. It is a, um, it is something that you can learn. It is a process just like uh, everything else in the world is a process. It's a shame that there aren't more resources kind of growing up and, and we just hear that uh, and we have to fail our way into success uh, eventually by figuring out what we did wrong. Let's let's back over into culture again. You know, we hear tons of stuff about culture. I want to drive this point home. You artists already sort of made it, but I want to drive this point home. What are your thoughts about culture and the sales department? Ah, good. Um, culture to me is that this is so important. This is this is the foundation of a sales department. Um, and by the way, just so everyone knows, culture is not creating a nice place for people to work. It's creating a place where people can grow, and then grow the company. And it always bugs me when I walk into a place. They tell me got a great culture because they have a pool room in the lunchroom, a pool table in the lunchroom. You know, it doesn't make a good culture. Um, culture truly is, it's either loved or hated. Um, you know, and, and it, it, it overlaps what we've been talking about. It overlaps with process. Right? If you think about this, I'm a salesperson that can work for you. Within two weeks, you've trained me everything about this company. I know how things are made. I know how long it takes to make something. I know how long it uh, service department takes. I know everything about the company. So much so that I've worked for you for now a couple months and I can walk into the shipping department and ask the shipping, shipping manager, is that going to ship today? Because I know it's a two-week lead time, right? Because I know the process. Yet the company itself has no concept of what the process of the sales department is. And so that's why that has to be built. So think about it. We now, we now, everybody in the company understands the sales process, understands that a salesperson is supposed to get two appointments a week, understands that um, they're supposed to have so many calls a day. Shipping department, I walk in the shipping department, is that going to ship this week? He can then turn around and say, yes, it is. By the way, did you get your second appointment this week? Right? Or you think about it another way, everybody understands our 30-second commercial. These are the words that come out of your mouth when someone says, what do you do? Right? We've created it. We have, it's amazing. We have a marketing department spends tons of money creating this is who we are. Then I ask salespeople, so who are you? And they don't say anything close to what the marketing department's created. Right? So if we created a 30-second commercial and everybody in the company knows it, right? And you're a brand new salesperson. And I get, by the way, this is vitally important because every time you meet somebody brand new, that 30 cent commercial depends whether you're getting in or not getting in, right? So you think about um, that 30 cent commercial, you're walking down the hallway, once again, the uh, head of the art department says, hey, what's your 30 cent commercial, right? 
the head of the shipping department, your brand new employee says, hey, Tom, give me your 36 commercial. Good place to practice, right? That happens to you 10 times a day. One of two things happens. You're going to learn that 30 cent commercial and be great at it within a month, or you're going to quit. One of the two, right? And you can't, so you can't build the process, the, the culture without process and everybody buying into it. Yeah. Yeah. Culture. Many people think a culture is that pool table or an event, right? We have a cookout, you know, on Friday or, or whatever. Culture is a lifestyle. I, someone said this to me recently, and, and the more I think about it, the more I like this thought process. Culture is the way the company acts when the CEO disappears for two weeks. Someone mentioned that to me the other day. You can learn a lot about the culture, the real culture of a business when the leadership is gone, right? Uh, and so, uh, so if you want to know what kind of culture you have, step away for a few weeks and then uh, you might be able to, to find out. So uh, before we leave culture and in this interesting time, are there, uh, uh, what should a sales leader be willing to tolerate at this point? Maybe in, in today's environment, but, but even overall, what should a sales leader tolerate? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, you know, it, uh, to, to uh, go back on culture is I always tell how good your culture is by what they are willing to tolerate. Um, oh. You know, to me, once you have a process, once you have numbers, once you understand those numbers and what has to happen, you don't tolerate anything but those things, right? I mean, the key is that if, and going back to the supervisor mode and what have you, right? And here's here's some times where we have fault is Tom's been working with me for four or five years. One of my top guys, right? And he's him and I have a coaching mentor relationship. I'm his boss and we're really good. And and he's hitting the numbers, he's followed the process, and he always did a great job. Tom goes into a slump, right? Tom goes into a slump for many Many different reasons, maybe brand new product, maybe uh, whatever, but he goes into a slump. The worst thing you can do, right, for your culture, the worst thing you can do for Tom is sit there and say, well, Tom's one of my best guys. I'll leave him alone. He'll get back to it. That's the worst thing you can do because right now Tom needs a supervisor. Your company needs Tom to have a supervisor and your culture needs it. Right. So you don't tolerate Tom going into a slump. You sit down with Tom and say, hey, Tom, here's what we're going to do. I need you to make so many calls a day. I need you to have so many conversations a day. I need um, I need you to send out so many emails a day, so many hand mails a day. And at the end of every day, I want you to walk in my office and tell me how many you did. Now, by the way, a leader, you're going to have to deal with something that every leader deals with in every other department for sales. You're going to get something called pushback, right? And this is when Tom's going to sit there and say, I shouldn't have to do this crap. I've been here five years. I've devoted that. And a good leader, then now I can switch over to coach mode for a minute and say, hey, Tom, you're right. You're my best guy. And I ain't, let you, I ain't going to let you fail. So the quicker we get back on track, the quicker we go have a beer. But until then, you and I are going to bust our butt and make sure it happens. Deal with it. And that's what has to happen. 
I love that. I love that. Let's uh, let's move on here and talk about KPIs. Actually, I saw a question there from uh, from Michael Byzantine. KPIs are a biggie when it comes to maximizing business value. You know, if you don't measure it, you can't manage it. Uh, and uh, you know, KPIs are about distilling information into insightful metrics that can help you stay on top of things. We suggest that every business not only have KPIs at the top of the organization, but that it roll downhill departmental uh, metrics and dial it all the way down to the individual. But then you've got to relentlessly track it uh, and hold people and managers accountable to it. Because remember, if you don't manage it, you can't improve it. So Tom, what kinds of KPIs should every CEO be looking for in their sales department. Yeah, so, um, and uh, uh, co-side with that, that means you gotta have a good CRM and you gotta make people use it, otherwise don't bother, right? Right. There's, there's some really bad CRMs out there that don't help salespeople. And, and going back to KPIs, most salespeople hate CRMs, why? Because we never take that data and use it to help them. So if you have KPIs, you're just measuring it just a, for the sake of it, how do we take those KPIs back to the sales department? Look at, here's Tom's numbers, and this is what he does. Here's your numbers and where you're at. Let's sit down and do what Tom does because he's doing this more than you're doing, right? It goes back to your point of quotes. You know, Tom's close ratio is um, 40%. Your close ratio is 20%. Is it the number of quotes you're doing? Or are you a bad closer? It might be I'm doing too many quotes, right? So to me, you're, you should be measuring every step of the way, right? Um, how many how many conversations, how many qualified conversations are you having? And that can be via LinkedIn. You know, cold calling, tough uh, in today's world. But in today's world, with all we have, we shouldn't be doing cold calling. It should be warm call. I can, I can go to Sales Navigator and get myself a lead of, people that I can all warm call. So um, you've got to know how to use a couple things. You've got to know how to do digital prospecting. You've got to know how to use the social media and do social media prospecting. Um, you know, to me, if you're not using social media prospecting, then you're in trouble in today's world. Um, there's got to be, you've got to be doing that. You've got to be good at the CRM. You've got to be good at video. Uh, I always tell people we get on a call and, and I was just on one recently and um, I got on this call with this company and all the salespeople were blank and the president and the manager and, and I said, okay, we're going to stop the call until you all go buy cameras. We're stopping the call. Cause if you don't know how to hold a meeting via zoom, right, you're in trouble. Um, so to me that I think those are some things that I started measuring now. How many Zoom calls are you having? Right. Because I'd much rather as a salesperson when someone says, well, we can't meet because the company's got a no meet policy. Instead of saying, okay, let's get on the phone, let's get on a Zoom call. Right. Um, so you really got to measure everything that makes a sale happen. Right. And it's how many calls or how many conversations, how many emails, how many returns on those emails. Um, my problem is you've got to, to me, you've got to 
prospecting is an art form and it's got to be more and more of an art form. So give you an example, what I do, and I try to teach sales people. First thing, use snail mail. My mailbox is empty. My email box is full of crap, but my mailbox is empty, right? So learn how to send out a piece of mail. So every day, you should be hand addressing five envelopes and sending out a piece of mail. And the next week, the five envelopes you sent today, you're gonna to do five phone calls, leaving five voicemails. And then you're gonna follow up leaving five emails. Okay, so you're gonna, I'm gonna attack you three different times in one week. But it's gotta be hand addressed, right? Might as well do your own marketing because by the way, I have a 30 step rule. You guys, whatever you do personally is what you'll accept from others. So I have a 30 step rule. That's 30 steps from my mailbox to my garbage can. When I go to mailbox, I take out my mail and guess what? I start going through it. And the ones that are advertising, known advertising ones, don't make it past the trash can. That's my 30 step rule. Doesn't get open. Hand addressed ones get open. The problem is we do hand address and then you put a business letter in, right? And I ain't gonna read, I ain't gonna read a business letter any more than I'm gonna read your email business garbage. So you've got to change it, right? You gotta make it different. You gotta set yourself apart. Forget everything else, set yourself apart. So this is one of the things I do. You guys might remember these things. Oh yeah, yeah. The uh, phone messages. Yeah, remember you, some, I think all of us remember this, uh, when we got back from lunch, a lady at the front desk handed you about four or five of these pink slips that so-and-so called you, right? So I took the, you can still buy these at Office Depot. Take this ream of pink paper, right? And I copy this with the message. The message is, would love to share a cup of coffee with you. Know you're busy, so have a cup on me and I'll call you next week. And those are hand addressed. By the way, I get a single pack of coffee and I put that in the envelope, right? So this comes to them. I then leave a voicemail next Tuesday. Hey, Tom, Tom Neeson, I'm the guy that sent you a cup of coffee just with touch and base with you. Then I email you. Hey, Tom, just left you a voicemail. I'm the guy that lets you a cup of coffee. Want to know if you ever have a sales uh, problem, right? And I'm going to go, no, don't bother me, or yeah, but you should talk to my VP or whatever. So you got to make a connection and you can't, you can't do it the old fashioned way. Use snail mail. Um, I use this, by the way, I, I actually have these made up for my elephants. I actually wrap these in brown paper and send these to elephants. <laughs> well, I don't know whether to be pissed or not. I don't know that I've ever gotten a cup of coffee from you, but I always take your phone calls. So. <laughs> So uh, before we run out of time here, one of the things I also tell folks to do in their businesses is to um, eliminate the unprofitables. But that assumes then that you know what is profitable and what's unprofitable. And when I say eliminate the unprofitables, where are you making your money? Who is making you money? That includes salespeople, products. Uh, uh, customers, uh, if you will. Um, so important to be able to identify that. If you don't have a system in place to be able to know, 
of all of those things, all those components, what's profitable, what's not profitable, then you need to do that because then I ask you to go eliminate it. We, we actually touched on this a little bit earlier in the call, and I think this may be our last question, but uh, I think it's possible to drive the wrong behaviors with sales compensation. So, Tom, is there a magic bullet sales compensation model that every company should use? Um, I don't know if it's magic, but there certainly is a bullet I use. Uh, sales comp, too often we're paying salespeople um, on volume, on one component, right? And what, when we're doing that, we're actually training salespeople to stop hunting and start being account managers, right? Because if you give me 10% of all the sales I made, I start making, I get customers. I don't have time to go hunt new stuff. Plus, I don't want to because I'm making 10% on all the stuff I've already brought in. So to me, there's a couple things. You should always look at sales comp three ways. Sales volume, profitability, and core, core behaviors and behaviors. So sales volume, so if you normally pay someone 10%, you now pay them three and a third for total sales volume, right? So sold $100,000 this month, you get three and a third percent. Then the other three and a third is if what you sold is at our profit level. If you had to drop price to get the deal, well, then we both get hurt, not just you, not just up me. So you lose a three and a third. So if you're selling at a profit level, fine. And if you had to sell somebody lower profit level, someone at a higher profit level, there's a lot of ways to work that, right? Uh, work with a company that sells benefits. Um, and they've realized that if uh, we sell somebody that's got 20 seats or left, 20 or less employees, they make no money. So they don't pay salespeople, no commission on them. So you can go sell them and make no money. So profit, I know I did put profitability in. And then lastly is core values and core behaviors, right? What do you want me to do on a daily basis, right? And so the reason we get a roller coaster activity is we're, we're not measuring what it takes and we're not paying you on what it takes to make sales. So in, in our world, let's just say, um, if you have eight appointments a month, right, with this size of an account, that drives um, our output sales. Right, so that's we're going to create that, make that one of them. It's just one. So now, if you have seven appointments this is the last week of the month and you don't hit your number, you don't get an eighth appointment, you lose a third of your commission. Right? You could also have core behaviors in there. Do you support our core values? If not, you lose a third of your commission. And here's the reason think of it this way if you have a three month sell cycle, you've got 30% close ratio, you're supposed to do um, $100,000 a month in business, three month sell cycle, three uh, 30% close ratio, supposed to do $100,000, and it's January, right? If you don't have in the top of your funnel right now around $300,000, right? Right around three months from now, January, January, February, and March, March will be bad. Mm -hmm. You will have a bad March. See, right now, a sales manager really can't affect what's going to happen today. Maybe we close some things quicker, but what he's really affecting is what's going to happen in March. So if I'm paying you on doing the activities that you need to do to make March a good month, you'll have less roller coaster activity, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm still doing those numbers. 
And I've been with many of my clients, presidents and CEOs, when we've been sitting there having lunch or eating in their office and their top salesperson comes in and says, we got a problem. With what? My, my paycheck's missing $5,000. No, it's not. This is how we're paying you. This is what you're supposed to be doing. You could have made that one last appointment. It will happen one time, every time you change this, with one person. One person will test it. And if you let them go, forget about the culture, forget about everything. Right. Yeah, once you've, uh, once you've um, uh, set that precedent, uh, trust me, everybody in the sales organization is going to know it in a nanosecond. Uh, yep. So it's almost like you, you might as well grab your phone and go, attention, attention, please. I just let Tom off the hook. Uh, everybody needs to know that now. See ya. <laughs> Put it on the loudspeaker. Put it on the loudspeaker. It's always fun having you around. Uh, thanks for joining and sharing your wisdom. Uh, remind our folks how you can, uh, how they can get in touch with you. Oh, easy email. Just Tom at salesmadeeasy.com. Boy, I can't thank you enough for being our guest today. That's Tom Neeson. You can find him at uh, Tom at salesmadeeasy.com. You can find him on LinkedIn. And of course, you can always reach out to me and I will be happy to make a warm introduction to my good friend. This is the Maximize Business Value podcast, where we give practical advice to business owners on how to build long-term sustainable value in your business. Be sure to uh, tune in each week and follow us wherever you found this podcast and be sure to comment. We love comments and we respond to all of them. So until next time, I'm Tom Bronson reminding you that it is important to build a great sales strategy while you maximize business value. Thank you for tuning into the Maximize Business Value podcast with Tom Bronson. This podcast is brought to you by Mastery Partners, where our mission is to equip business owners to maximize business value so they can transition on their terms. Learn more on how to build long-term sustainable business value and get free value-building tools by visiting our website, www.masterypartners.com. That's master with a Y, masterypartners.com. Check it out. any changes on that.